Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, conveniently located in Park Road Shopping Center. And by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. We're also grateful to those of you who offer member support, for which I'm pleased to offer in return member-only content curated with our authors and myself. You can find out more about this member-only content and how you can help authors give voice to their written words at charlottereaderspodcast.com. When Landis is not getting under the cover at bookstores, at events, and on the road, he does it in the well-equipped podcast studio at Advent Coworking, located in the Belmont community near Uptown Charlotte. But enough with the prologue. Let's get under the covers. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. Hey, listeners, I'm here with uh, Rita Woods. We're in the Bookmarks bookstore here in Winston-Salem. Rita, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're here talking about her book, uh, Remembrance. Uh, Library Journal gave it a starred review and says, This book deserves to be a breakout hit. Wood's magical, realist take on the black female experience will have huge appeal to readers of Marlon James and Tara Coughlin. And Booklist says, Wood's writing is assured, historical settings vivid, and her characters fully realized. That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. I, I can live with that. I'm not mad. <laughs> you're, not, you're not mad at all. I'm not that, mad. Right, right, yeah. Well, congratulations for those uh, great reviews, right? Thank you. Not bad for a first book, huh? Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about you for a moment before we get into the book itself. Um, you are not the typical author. You're a board-certified internist, right? I am. Yeah. Now, I mean, I know that, uh, you know... Lawyers, doctors, they become authors, right? But it's not the, it's not a direct path all the time, and yours wasn't either. You, we're going to talk a little bit about your, your love of writing and, and when you were younger, but uh, you currently serve as medical director of a wellness center that serves one of the largest trade unions in the nation, and yet you're an author, right? Yes. How do you manage that? Well, it's really simple. I haven't slept since 2012, so <laughs> okay, that's the secret. That's the secret. Just no sleep, huh? Correct. Uh, well, you were born in Dearborn, Detroit. I'm sorry, you were born in Detroit, Michigan, right. the oldest child of two academics, right? And right. Uh, you said you were raised in a heavily Irish Catholic neighborhood. You say you were an extraordinarily shy, introverted kid. I was. Is that right? I was. Well, look, you're sitting here in a bookstore. You're now talking on Charlotte Rear's podcast, you're getting ready to go to an event and talk about your book. Well, I guess all writers are somewhat introverted, right? Probably. Yeah. I would, you have to be a little bit inside your own head to be a writer, I think. But, you know, I learned something about introversion reason. It's not that you're, when you're an introvert, you don't interact well with people. You don't rise to the occasion. You don't do events well. It's just that you need that time to recharge your battery. Absolutely. You, know, you need to be... You need your alone time, right? Right. Do you use right. some of your writing as your alone time? Yeah. Um, I think so. I think it, for me it's more 
I create an, another world. My outside external world is so stressful and so frenetic in right. some ways right. that the writing time isn't necessarily alone time, but it is control time. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, um, this being raised by these two academics, uh, they weren't going to let you just go off and become a writer, right? That is absolutely true. They weren't feeling that at all. You said that in your bio. It's like, no, 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 we we, we got to go to school and then graduate school and you can be something, 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 but you're not going right. to just be a writer because you know, writers can't make a living. Right? Yeah, you got to have a real job. Yeah, real job. So you went off to medical school, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you convinced yourself, I think you said, that you could write in your spare time. Well, that's what my parents told me, and okay. I was apparently too naive to realize that as of going in through medical school and residency, there is no spare time. Well, I was going to say, I, I, from my friends who went through residency, I don't think there is a spare moment, right? Not much, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so before we get under the covers of this book, let's talk about the book cover. Wait a minute, hold on. Before that, one other thing about your bio. What's this bodybuilding thing? Or <laughs> so I. Um, You're a former bodybuilder. I was. I, I really got into it. I had this boyfriend at the time who was a competitive bodybuilder, yeah. and we started going. That's where we hung out mostly at the gym. Okay. And then I met some female bodybuilders, and they were their bodies were amazing uh-huh. and so i i got really hooked on that and <laughs> was it like an addiction I mean, it was it's and it, like it has a to running be. high kind of thing absolutely okay yeah absolutely and yeah. um it has to be because you're in the gym three hours a day six days a week and you can't yeah. eat anything right um so it was amazing i but just before my first competition mm-hmm. um I just freaked out. It's like I cannot go on stage and in front of all these people and do that. <laughs> do that thing. <laughs> yeah, I do that. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> so now you're going to go out and be on stage and talk about your book, right? But I have my clothes on. Oh, oh true. Usually. Okay. okay. Well, don't they have their clothes on when they're bodybuilding? No. You have um, you have a very very small uh, bikini uh, or a thong kind of thing okay. because they need to see all the all definition. The muscular. Yes. Yeah, okay. Okay. All right, well, enough about bodybuilding. <laughs> you your, is your next book going to be a bodybuilder in it, maybe? Or, you know? Yes. <laughs> okay. No bodybuilders in this book, though, right? No. Okay. No, no. So let's talk about the front cover before we get under the covers. Uh, I like to do that. You've got a um, so a lot of brown on the cover, right? Yes. Yeah, tones of brown. Yeah, brown skin, yes. brown uh, wood, uh, brown... Even the butterfly. Even the butterfly, yeah. Is that intentional? I had um, almost nothing to do with the cover. So when uh, I was very, very fortunate, my publisher and my editor um, actually give me a lot of input into everything. And so one of the things they did was they said, what do you actually absolutely hate and what you won't tolerate? I don't like bright colors. I don't like modern. I like vignettes. I kind of like arts and crafts sort of things. Uh, mm-hmm. The artist Klimt, I like those kind of colors. Mm-hmm. And I told them that. And I like um, uh, things that look like old vintage photographs. Mm-hmm. So I gave them that lead. Mm-hmm. And then at first we had some things that were just like photographs. Right. And then they, so with that, I picked some of those out and they gave it to the artist. And this is this is actually the very first try. This was oh, really? what she came up with. Okay. And I didn't really have anything. Well, I didn't know if it, because uh, you got, uh, it could, could be an African-American woman on the cover here. You've got that through the story, right? You've got yes. diff- different women of uh, color through the, throughout the story. Right. And so she's got her head kind of cast down, her eyes closed. 
almost like she's meditating. Right. 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 Yeah. Very introspective. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and on the, the sort of byline here is four women, one powerful legacy. Their gifts will shape the world. So did all these four women come to you in, in a dream? Did you come? I mean, how did you... How did this come to you, this idea of writing? We're going to talk about what you did with it. Well, let's go ahead and do it. Let's get under the covers. You ready? Okay. All right, let's get under the covers. We'll be right back. But first, I want to thank our episode sponsor today, Warren Publishing, a premier hybrid publisher since 1988 right here in the Charlotte community. Authors benefit from Warren's relationships with global distributors, wholesalers, and retailers, as well as their history of publishing award-winning and best-selling books. You can find out more at warrenpublishing.net. Warren Publishing books done wisely. If you like our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, please consider leaving a short written review about Charlotte Reader's podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you leave a review, it helps authors reach more listeners. You can keep up with news about the show and member-only content for our member supporters by joining our email list. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join the list, we will give you a free ebook written by me. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. All right, so Remembrance is the title of the book. Correct. Um, it's a historical novel written, you say, as magical realism. Right. Explain that. Yeah. So I, I like to write things where there is the the ability to imagine that all of this could in fact happen mm-hmm. um and i don't think this is just necessarily a, a, a result of my science background but um almost all of these women have something that's based in fact and it's just kind of bumped up mm-hmm. so um one of the characters for instance is a synesthete which is a real medical condition um it's just amped up for the book Mm-hmm. Um, the ability to regulate body heat, also sort of a medical condition, just mm-hmm. amped up for the mm-hmm. book. So I feel like everybody has things within themselves that are, I wouldn't call it magic, but mm-hmm. certainly un- inexplicable. Um, and so I think that if you use that as a basis, at least for myself, from a place from which to start, then it gives you, all you need to do is ramp it up a little bit and mm-hmm. you're still within the realm of, of this could really happen, and yet it's inexplicable, it's unexplainable, and a little mystical. Mm. All right, so, so just to back up just a minute, um, we've got four women in this story spanning three centuries, right? Correct. Okay, so, um, I mean, it's one thing to take on one time period. You took on a lot of different times right. in history, right? Right, right. Uh, which came first? Which time period came first for you in writing this book? I think it was originally going to be the just prior to the Civil War, um, because the first character that came to me was actually Abigail or Mother Abigail, and I. Um, it sort of started from a sense of um, I was in the bathroom reading a story, as mm-hmm. people always do, and it was a book about um, quantum mechanics, uh, and so that I. It's not what I read in the bathroom. No. <laughs> quantum mechanics. Everybody <laughs> reads that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> And so the idea was, it was trying to explain about, you know, how a fax machine works. I still don't know. Um, And microwaves still don't understand that. But the takeaway was, if you're sitting on a train 
and there's a train next right. to you, and right. the two start moving. Right. It gets very hard for your brain to decide who's moving, who's not, how yeah. fast the other. And the point of that was supposed to be um, time, space, and velocity are relative concepts. And I sort of came well, up you, with... Look, you're an internist. Where, where, where are you coming up with all this time, space stuff? I'm in the bathroom. That's <laughs> okay. where y'all good ideas come from. Right, we, we probably ought to ground the listeners a little bit. you got four women who possess unique powers, right? Correct. They're all connected to Abigail, who's a voodoo priestess. Correct. Uh, who, with her own abilities to bend space and molecular structures, she's created this place called Remembrance. Correct. And that is where, exactly? So that is where time, space, velocity comes in. It, the what if came about is what if someone had the ability to create a parallel space because it's existing in a different velocity, space, uh, mm -hmm. place mm -hmm. within a, in the, quote, real world. So right. remembrance basically exists in a parallel time and velocity entity as everything else around it. So these characters at different points in time, you got someone who is... Uh, in Haiti, and then you got someone who is around the Civil War time period. Mm. You got someone in current day. Uh, all these characters have the ability to see this space. Sort they of. all uh, have different. So Abigail is actually, it opens with her, and she is actually a slave in um, pre-revolutionary um, Haiti. And she's forced to... Uh, during the revolution, what happened is most of those planters and their their French families, they fled Haiti. They left their slaves there to defend their plantations, um, but they fled to Cuba and New Orleans. Abigail was forced to flee with her mistress with the understanding that her children would be taken care of and she would be reunited with her children at some point. Mm. That did not happen. So in New Orleans... Um, she is so enraged by that betrayal that she walks away from her, her master and her mistress and is taken under the wing of a, a voodoo priestess who basically teaches her how to use her powers to create this alternate universe. This almost has an outlander feel to it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what some, some people have said yeah, that. Yeah, and my wife is really, she loves this uh, outlander, you know, where they go through the stones in Scotland and go back in time and that kind of right. thing. Right. So is there time travel in this book? It or? doesn't travel in time per se. It it, it actually is, is kind of linear, okay. but you have the modern story and Gael is a, um, an, uh, she's a refugee from the Haitian earthquake mm -hmm. in, in 20th, 21st century. So her story's woven into that, but it, otherwise it's a fairly linear story. So did you always want to be a witch doctor? Is that the, the, the voodoo stuff? There? No, yeah. but I love the magic of it, the, the religiosity yeah. okay. of it. And where does the Underground Railroad come into the story? So Remembrance becomes, when, when Abigail leaves um, and, and wants to, f to form her own uh, space, she actually creates this Remembrance, and it becomes a stop on the Underground Railroad. Hmm. So I, I know if you, know if you know the story of the Underground Railroad, mm -hmm. for people who didn't understand how it worked, for planters and, and slave uh, drivers who didn't understand how it worked, they heard about the Underground Railroad, and for them it felt very much like people just vanished. Mm -hmm. and, I, and that's sort of, again, the what if. What that, if that people did yeah. actually vanish? Uh. They didn't, but what if they actually vanished? And in this case, they're vanishing because she's created this world in which nobody can get in or out unless she allows it. Oh, that's interesting. All right. And you got a little read for us. You're gonna uh, where, oh. where, where where in the book are you gonna start now? So um, Margot is um, one of the characters. She's the Cinnacet, Um and 
basically, for those who don't know, a synesthet is an actual medical condition where people can taste colors or smell sound. It's, there's a rewiring neurologically in their brain. Mm -hmm. And so she, hers has to do more with um, health and illness. She's been promised um, her freedom at age 18, which is in just a few months. Her grandmother has um, some sort of psychic abilities and um, she's tried to keep them undercover because her master doesn't, thinks it's creepy, basically. Right, okay. right. So we're opening with, um, there's a dinner party okay. with Margot and her grandmother. Good. The Sunday before Mardi Gras, Grandma had stalked into the dining room and slammed a platter of fish onto the table. Catherine Hannigan's brother, his wife, and their 17-year-old son were visiting from Natchez. They'd been discussing plans to have the mistress's nephew start in James Hannigan's business. They stared in silence as the platter skidded across the tablecloth. New Orleans will be filled with death, declared Grandmere. She fixed her eyes on her master. Get the mistress and the little ones to Farwater now. The whites said nothing. Margot gripped a pitcher of iced wine and glanced at her master. Master Hannigan's Adam apple, Adam's apple bobbed wildly above his silk collar. Time t seemed to stretch, then warp like hot taffy. Margot saw her sister trembling in the doorway, a basket of biscuits in her hand. She shook her head, warning her to stay silent. Finally, Catherine Hannigan laughed, a short, quivery bark. Fortuna is so superstitious. You know these Louisiana Negroes. Her voice was shrill, pleading as she addressed her guest. But she makes the best beignets and biscuits in all New Orleans. Mistress, said Grandmere, turning toward her, it is the fever. It will come this year. Some fever or another always comes to this, to this maddening city. James Hannigan had found his voice at last. He rose slowly from his chair, and Margot read danger in his eyes. She was certain her grandmother saw it too, and yet this will be a fever like no other, insisted Grandmere, her voice hard. This will become a city of ghosts before it ends. Fortuna, Hannigan growled a warning. From the doorway, Veronique growled, whimpered so softly that only Margot heard. James Hannigan was a bear of a man, quick to laugh and quicker to anger. He brooked no nonsense, not from his employees, not from his wife and children, and certainly not from his slaves. Margot stood frozen, staring at the table, shoulders hunched, waiting for the explosion. The fish lay partially off the platter, its dead eyes glazed as if plotting its escape across the sea of lace and cutlery. You will all die, said Grandmare, her voice flat. Corpses will float in the street like enough, roared Hannigan. A fist came down on the table, sending a crystal glass crashing to the floor. Enough of your voodoo, black magic, witchcraft. Get the hell out of here, old woman, before you make me forget you belong to my wife and not to me. James! His wife was on her feet. Her normally pale face as red as her hair. Grandmere turned and left the dining room without another word, pulling Veronique behind her. Margot would have followed except that she had taken root to the spot, heart racing, hands welded to the wine pitcher. Hannigan stood glowering at the door for a long moment, then turned his great bear-like head and caught Margot's eye. He blinked slowly, then visibly shook himself. Bring me some of that wine, Margot, he called to himself. He plopped in his chair and laughed. Damn Louisiana niggers, superstitious as hell with their curses and their ghosts. James, said his wife weakly, 
sinking back into her seat, her face still flushed. Her brother and his wife sat wide-eyed and pale. Their son, Elaine, looked amused. Margot managed to pour the wine without spilling it. Hannigan raised his glass. Ain't no saffron scourge can ever get James Hannigan. He drank from the glass and smacked his lips. And I'm staying right here in New Orleans all summer long just to prove my point. But he hadn't. Catherine Ruth Hannigan may have been quiet and skittish as a rabbit, but she believed to her core in what Grandmere's visions. She had made her husband's life a nightmare of tears and pleading and slammed doors. The entire Hannigan family was at Farwater by Easter, and by the end of that summer, 14,000 souls had succumbed to yellow fever, including 17-year-old Elaine Ruth, and James Hannigan would never again allow Grandmare in the same room with him. Okay, so this is from early in the book. You also have, you know, like the very, very early in the book, there's this woman in current day, and she's dealing with a very strange woman in a retirement community. Correct. Right, and then uh, you've got the setting uh, in New Orleans, and you've got the, the Civil War era, and so you got a lot. So what, what, is the, what are your characters searching for in this book, and do they, what are they struggling with? I think all of them, the thing that they have in common, other than the thread that you find later that links them to Mother Abigail, is they've all suffered a betrayal and some kind of massive loss. And the, quote, magic aside, they have this, these, this anger and this rage and this sorrow that they have to find a way to deal with. And what I wanted to do was to, sh- to make these women not victims, they have the, these things that happen to them. They have slavery. They have um, the loss of their children, the loss of their entire island that happens to them. And yet I didn't, I wanted to give them, to empower them with something and to have them choose to use that to create a world for themselves and for those around them that kept them from just being a victim to that, to just mm-hmm. folding up and saying, this is it. I, I have nothing else to live for. Mm-hmm. So... A little bit about your writing life, okay? You didn't totally give up on your dream, right? Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> you, you wrote college papers. You entered contests. Um, when did you know the time was right to write this novel? So I think it's all, it's all a process. I don't think there's one big epiphany that happens. I think you realize, I, I realize for myself that I have a little bit of time. I can write this. And the story never goes away. I think for mm-hmm. some writers, or for most of us, there's this story that's in your head, and yeah. you have to get Just it gotta out. Got to get out. Yeah. Um, what determines that is more an issue of when can I get it out? How can I get it out? Is there is there the space to do that? And for me, it just became an, a, a, a factor of there were certain things happening. My kids were getting a little older. Yeah, I understand you're raising kids, you're raising chickens. Yes. But the chickens got in trouble. They did. They had to go. They had to go. The kids grew up. Yes. They went. Yes. yes. <laughs> so now you have more space. Right? I have some more space. And I'm now yeah. doing corporate medicine. So I'll, instead of working 100, you know, 80 to 70 to 90 hours a week, I'm only working 50. So that mm-hmm. gives me a lot more time to to do, to do that, more space. So Remembrance is not a linear story. Did you necessarily, but did you write it? the way it's written, or did you come back and piece it together? Did you write parts of it? And how did that work exactly? Um, the, the I have to tell you that the modern story didn't exist at all. So they actually okay. bought the story, bought yeah. the novel without Gael, the modern, the the refugee from Haiti, in it at all. Okay. Um, so she didn't even exist. Okay. Um, the rest of it, I, I have, was very clear 
that what I wanted was Mother Abigail is you meet her in Haiti. Um, time goes by. She creates this um, this sanctuary, but she's getting older. And as she gets older, her powers are waning and she needs to look for an heir apparent. And that's winter. And that was very clear in my head from the beginning. That is not exactly how it plays out because Winter becomes less of an important character. The other characters become more predominant. But that was the story in my head, was the story of this one woman who created remembrance out of her own grief and rage, but needing to pass it down Mm. to the next generation. Uh And then it sort of became an idea of like, now it becomes a generational story. Each generation has its protector or its person that that creates a new kind of a sanctuary for the next generation. Well, you've, you've accomplished a lot of things in your life. You, 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 you've got uh, this profession where you're a doctor. You, you've raised the chickens, right? You've yes. raised the kids. Yes. <laughs> you've been the bodybuilder. Yes. So what has writing this book uh, done for you? Um, How has it shaped your life journey? Um, it is, it's, it's thrilling that the thing that I always wanted to do in my whole life, I finally, it, it's happening um, there just comes a time sometimes I think and I don't know if it happened for you but you go down one road and you you almost have a sense that maybe that, that thing that you wanted to do as a 10 year old a 15 year old a 20 year old that's just never going to happen you know I'm, I've gone down this other road now and mm-hmm. those other doors are closed to me those were childhood dreams whether that's to be a musician or you know, an uh, artist astronaut, yeah. or an, those might be close to you, you know, I don't know exactly. if they're taking a lot of 50 year old astronauts. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and nice of you to call me a 50 year old. Too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I get what you're, you're saying. Well, look, we can sit here and talk all day. The book's great. I'm looking at it. Uh, great cover. Um, very magical realism. If you like that, we've set aside a place uh, in the world, uh, remembrance where People vanish, but they don't really vanish. But right. it's a it's a protected space, I assume. Absolutely. Right. But there's a lot of conflict going on outside of the space, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. Because you got to have good conflict in the story, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hey, listen, uh, Rita. Thanks so much for visiting with us on Charlotte's podcast. Listeners, there's going to be information in the show notes uh, about Rita, uh, photographs, etc. So check it out, Rita. Thanks. For, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. It's fun. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to their written work. Landis will be back next Friday getting under the covers with another interesting author. But before then, coming on Tuesday, we'll have another long-form episode with readings and conversations about the written words and the writing life of a local or regional author. Landis loves helping authors give voice to their written words, but he can't do it alone. If you're inclined to help me help authors give voice to their written words, please consider becoming a member supporter. We'd love to have you as a member. And when you join at certain levels, we'll give you access to member-only content curated by the authors and me. Would you like to hear more from the authors? Perhaps a variety of presentations on writing craft, or additional readings, or tips on marketing and social media. Would you like some behind-the-scenes insights and reflections from me, or some edited content from previous episodes without interruptions? You can find out more about these member-only benefits and how to become a member supporter at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast.